Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to Priority Roll. Today we are talking all about Flesh Eater Courts and I'm joined by the one and only Chris Welfare or the way from australia chris welcome back to priority roll thanks for having me back on the show dan not at all not at all it seems seems fitting that i've been toying uh flirting with the idea of nighthorn uh at the moment and uh and when you were last on the show we were talking all about nighthorn yeah we were with ash weren't we we, uh, we were, we were yeah. talking about all that i still haven't done mine yet so uh good to i know still you've haven't done, done, done mine <laughs> <laughs> and uh i i kind of i've i'm, I'm ignoring I, I couldn't quite work out a, a way to do nighthorn uh, in the kind of way that i wanted and I then started toying with some other concepts and I, I started uh, printing some, I've got 3D printers. I started printing some cool kind of, uh, I guess like knights of the fantasy knights of the realm with a fleur de theme in brackets, totally not Bretonian type things. Um, there seems to be a, a big market out there in the 3D printing world, isn't it? For that kind of thing. Have yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's every, everything out there, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, being a big fan of Bretonians in the world that was, and uh, you know they're no longer uh, existing in uh, within four, uh, not forty k wrong podcast uh, in Age of Sigma. Uh, I thought, hey, cool, wouldn't it be uh, good to like have a look at like maybe like a free cities army of of knights? And uh, I'm a huge fan of cavalry armies. And then I kind of got thought thinking, what if we kind of go into this cavalry concept from a slightly different angle? What if this is a delusion? What if this is these models represent what the fleshy courts think of themselves as? Yeah, perfect. Like. You've seen it happen as well. Like we've seen some kind of old school Bretonian armies that have become delusional feck armies, and and they're pretty great. So, um, but I don't think we see as many as I expected to be honest, because there's got to be so many people with old Bretonian or cavalry armies that couldn't find a use for it, and then here you go, here's a here's a great army and a great use for it. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems it's such a, a natural switch. You've got you know knights of the realm as horrors. You've got Pegasus knights as flares. You could. I don't know, maybe use your Grail Knights as the heroes and, and the kind of courtiers and that, that kind of thing. It's just, and peasants even as ghouls, it's kind of, it's just, it seems to me like a no-brainer. So uh, I guess I kind of chatted to you on WhatsApp, didn't I, about, you know, how how would a horror-heavy army, thinking that I'd want to use lots of lots of uh, knights, because I wanted to kind of steer away from the blister skin kind of uh, flare-heavy list because I, pref- I wanted more knights than Pegasus knights. But really, kind of, this episode's all about kind of Chris talking me through how would a how would a delusion a Bretonian delusion army fit within a feck army from a list writing perspective, and we have talked a little bit about Holomon and a little bit about potentially um, Grisogor, but uh, we'll probably focus mostly on the kind of Holomon aspects of this. So I guess Chris, kind of over to you. In if if someone said to you the question that I said to you, which was you know how do I make this work, what kind of goes through your mind? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, Hollowmorn is one of those grand courts for a start uh, of the four that, to be honest, until maybe three, six months ago, people hadn't really spoken about that much and you hadn't really seen it at tournaments very often. Um, it was typically the people were playing kind of no court with, with Feast Day um, or the Gristlegore. And most of those Gristlegore builds are all around kind of multiple dragons or at least the big terror geist with um striking first and going going again when they die and, and things like that but um hollow Morn has kind of taken a bit of a back seat um because you as you said as well you you've seen a fair bit of blister skin for the speed and the flying but tends to be more flayers 
Um, whereas, yeah, Hollow Moon, people kind of, I think, overlooked a lot of the strength in it. Um, and then when you said, oh, look, I want to do, I want to do a list that there's lots of knights in it and things like that. It's like, well, Hollow Moon is the one that narratively kind of essentially is the old world Bretonian. It's not necessarily Bretonian. It, it kind of says that they are old, old knights from Shimon, but they are wretched descendants of heavily armored kind of mounted knights from Shimon and stuff. So it essentially is an old cavalry army that's gone and fallen into delusion. So Hollow Morn is kind of the natural fit. Um, and then there's some really good abilities and tech and things that you can use in Hollow Morn to actually make a really strong competitive army around it as well. Um, I think all of the builds that I would talk about and discuss all kind of focus around um, a particular battalion as well, which is the Royal Mordants Battalion. Um, which I quite like as well to fit your theme because it's kind of a captain or a commander leading various different units and each turn he can kind of command one of them um, to to move essentially double time um, and get where it needs to be. And that, so that Royal Mordant's Battalion is a, a Vargolf courtier and then it's one unit of ghouls, one unit of horrors and one unit of flares. So you get variety in the army as well. Um, and then basically every single one of your hero phases, you can pick any of those units that's hollow within 16 of the Vargolf, and it gets to make a normal move in your hero phase. Um, so you can run as part of that move as well. So it just really increases the speed um, across the army. And I, having played around with it, I can't write a competitive kind of feck list now without putting that battalion in because I just think it's so good. Um, there's There's loads of flexibility and things that it lets you do um with the units you move and then also the vargolf because you can turn him into an absolute beat stick as well when you need to which um we'll probably get onto a bit later but um should i probably for those people that aren't as familiar with feck is um run through i guess the main allegiance abilities of hollow Morn? yeah and um, perhaps you know for those who aren't familiar with feck we could talk a little bit about the allegiance abilities for feck overall and then break it down into uh, into hollow Morn. yeah sure so um Fleshy Courts, they're a death army, so they all kind of get that natural six-up deathless save, or they're holier than 12 of a hero. Um, that's pretty standard across most death armies. Um, and then basically, when you pick your army, you can choose one of four Grand Courts of Delusions, um, or you can choose not to follow a Grand Court, um, and then you get to give your general uh, kind of a, a trait um of, of a delusion to for the whole army to follow um and of those there's kind of one main standout which you'll hear about which is feast day um which is basically once per turn you get to use feeding frenzy um command ability without spending a command point so the whole thing that people know about um that kind of defined fleshy to courts when they came out is feeding frenzy command ability which any fleshy to courts army has um and basically it's after a flesh eater courts unit has fought in the combat phase for the first time if it's wholly within 12 of a hero or wholly within 18 of the general then you can immediately pile in and attack again um with all of the weapons that is armed with so you just spend a cp and you go again and it's immediate so uh very powerful um essentially doubling the output of any unit in the army as long as you've got cp um and heroes in range so um Fleshy Courts have the potential to be an extremely powerful um, kind of melee combat army. They don't have much shooting, and they're pretty much all about running in in a frenzy and, and killing stuff in in close combat. But um, which that I, command can, ability, I can totally get behind. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's definitely how I like to run my armies. Yeah, just run run at people and tear their faces off, right? Um, but yeah, that that command ability is 
kind of what all the power um, of fleshier courts really um, comes comes from or is based around. And so that's why um, that feast day delusion, if you don't choose to take one of the four grand courts, is the most common one that you'll take because it just stands out way above the others that I, I won't even really bother reading the others out, to be honest, because if you're not going to take a court, you are taking feast day because you essentially get a free CP every turn and it's not even battle round. So it's your turn and your opponent's turn um, to do that feeding frenzy. So you're just getting to go again. Um, it essentially gives you 10 CP across the game. So it's just amazing. Um, and bearing in mind, you know, CP are worth 50 points or, or yeah. so, so. So the game tells us. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a decent amount of CP, isn't it? You know, that's, a, that's you're essentially writing a 2,500 point list. Yeah. And then if you think of that CP essentially doubling the output of the unit, you put it on, you you kind of, if you've got a, a 400 point Terrorgeist and it, you, you get to go twice with it, you've essentially got two. So you, that one CP adds you like 400 points worth of value in that turn or it, it kind of it, it is crazy the amount of additional output that you get for for those cp so you will find that you're always really wanting to take at least one if not two battalions in flashy courts lists as well because of the fact that you get additional cp with every battalion you buy as well um so it's quite it's not super common i guess but i've got quite a few lists because it is possible to fit in two battalions that buy a CP and have two battalions, just so that on turn one you can have four CP up your sleeve. Yeah, I I think you need to you need to look at the battalion cost and kind of you know for example, I think one of the lists we we, we might discuss it has an attendance at court and a royal mordance. Uh, attendance yeah. at court is only one hundred and ten points, and if you're going to be taking those units anyway, it's realistically only costing you sixty extra points because you're getting that CP that you would want anyway. And sometimes it's nice to be able to build armies towards a 1950 uh, total rather than a 2000 point total, just so you've automatically got that CP. But let's say you're not doing that here. Um, you know, that attendance at court is only costing you 60 points. And if you're going to take the units anyway, that 60 points gets you an extra rule and an extra relic. And when if you have the, the leaders for it, that relic can be absolutely critical to kind of making the army work in the way that you want it to. Yeah, exactly. There's there's quite a lot of good artifacts in the Fleshier Courts book um, because you normally see the same few um, because it is quite common to take the court or there's a couple of standouts. But if you have the choice of um, two or three, then th there's some others that you can pick from. And one of them in particular is my kind of go-to if I hit that double battalion mark. So I've got that third artifact because it is something that lets me save more CP by letting you use command abilities without needing to spend CP. So um, again, it, it's just everything that that gives you it can really be worth the points. And as you say, if the battalion is giving you units, you're probably going to take anyway, then great. Um, but yeah, so then basically the four kind of main courts, there's the Morgaunt Grand Court, which again, hasn't seen too much play um, because it kind of centers around the ghouls, um, lots of or serfs as they're called in this book. Um, and it's kind of, the command ability lets you basically bring back entire units of ghouls on a four up when they're destroyed. Um, so it's another way of using CP to just um, have loads and loads of units coming back. Um, and also that they don't have to take battle shock um, from the artifact. So the first kind of hero that takes that is a, is a holy within 12 immunity to battle shock bubble as well, which is good. Um, but I think the ghouls can be very strong for their points, but they require an insane amount of dice rolling to get the most out of them, which is why I think not too many people have actually tried to kind of play it on the tabletop because it's 
very time consuming, I think, and taxing to play efficiently compared to maybe some of the other choices to get similar levels of performance from. Yeah, I mean, it's all about surf. So I was immediately a no, you know, a peasant army would be cool. But I think if I was doing peasants, I'd want trebuchets. And if I wanted trebuchets, I'd be running them as Baltech crawlers. And suddenly, you know, that's a that's a conversation for another day, which is <laughs> how to yeah. shoehorn your Bretonian theme into an OBR list. <laughs> like, oh, look, I've, su- I've suddenly got four trebuchets in my army. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like um, the old Skaven list where you get people that would take like hordes and hordes and hordes of Skaven slaves. There'd be a few crazy people that would do it and just overwhelmed with sheer numbers but when you can also just take lists with doom wheels and gisales and storm fiends and just do loads of damage and have crazy things happen it's just a more kind of appealing choice to more people i think um than than the crazy high body count um drawn out killing ground i guess um so then moving on to hollow morn um which is the one we'll probably center on um Hollow Morn, as we've said, is kind of focused around the knights, um, but basically it's got some really useful abilities in it. Um, so for a start, all of your courtiers and your knights, which is the horrors and the flayers, get to reroll ones to wound when they charge innately, and they both wound on threes anyway. So your threes rerolling ones to wound um, on a big portion of units in the army um, when you charge, so that's really good. Um, the command ability lets you pick a unit and it can r- add one to run and charge rolls. Um, and it gains run and charge as well. So that's really, really good for increasing your movement. Um, the only thing with this is it's the only thing that you have to do at the start of the hero phase. Um, so if it was just in the hero phase, there'd be things that you could do around that in terms of casting other spells, seeing if they go off to decide if you need to spend that CP. But because this one is at the start, if if it's something you know you need, you, you kind of have to just spend the CP and do it. Um, but it can be it's so strong when combined with that Royal Mordant's hero phase move um, because if you hit a unit that can run and charge and you get plus ones to run and plus one to charge and you get to run that unit when you move them in the hero phase with plus one you you get to move a unit twice and you get two run rolls both at plus one so the average on 2d6 is seven plus one to both so on average you're doubling your unit's movement and adding nine to it and they can still charge with plus one so it it even like ghouls should make 24 inch charges reliably most of the time from a six inch move because they can run twice and move six twice it's really good for just um getting units where they need to be i think that's really helps put your opponent on the back foot even in the deployment stage when they it's not like they can kind of especially when you've got units that like the terrorgeist or the zombie dragon that can fly and really have an effect on the battlefields and they can fly over screens and they can do that at, at such pace or or even flares as you said that's a you know that's a significant threat that your opponent has to consider in deployment it's it's not a case of just putting 10 skinks up or, or whatever it is 10 ungors to stop something getting into the back lines you've got to really be careful about about how you do it you've got things that can hop over screens with such ease and they've got the movement and fly to be able to get beyond it and into the juicy soft center yeah um and obviously there's the the one downside with horrors um is that obviously they don't fly and they are slower than flayers but the flesh eater courts spell law is actually there's two spells that you see basically taken all the time um and i think now's a good time to touch on them so we'll go through them the main one is um kind of deranged transformation i think if you're taking the knight heavy list um so horrors and flayers because basically you 
um, pick a unit that's wholly within 24 and you add their movement characteristic to their wounds, um, it can only be cast on things that have a... Um, sorry, you add their wounds characteristic to their move um, and it can only be cast on units that have got a wounds characteristic of six or less. So your horrors and your flayers are movement... Um, a wounds characteristic of four so you add four to your movement so suddenly your flayers go from movement 12 to movement 16 and your horrors go from movement 7 to movement 11 um so then actually those horrors have gained so much speed and then if again you combine it with the fact that they can move twice in the royal mordants so if you're adding four you're essentially adding eight which is massive um from a spell and then the other spell you see is spectral host which is you pick a unit um if it can um fly then it gets run and charge. So that's a way of, if you've got flayers not necessarily needing to spend that CP to give them run and charge, because you can try for the spell, and if you get the spell off, then they get run and charge. But if the unit doesn't fly, then it gains the ability to fly. And so suddenly you can cast that onto your units of ghouls or horrors, and now they have the ability to run really fast and jump over screens as well that your opponent might not have thought about. Um, or, again, has to weigh up the, is my opponent going to cast that spell? <sighs> They've got horrors that they could hit me with that I wasn't thinking about. If that spell goes off, they could jump over my screens, etc. So it just gives you more options as well. And, and that's why I like the Royal Mordants Battalion so much, because it gives you a unit of flares and horrors so that your opponent is, your opponent will know that you've got a special host. And they're just thinking, right, is that going to be... A running and charging unit of flayers, or they've got ravenous crusaders, the command ability from Hollymorn. So is that going to be they're going to be able to run and charge anyway, or is that going to be a unit of flying horrors? You know, or do they want to put uh, the ravenous crusaders on the horrors to make them run and charge? You know, does that mean that the spell? You know, you just there's just there's lots going on there. They're kind of like what combo of spectral host and ravenous crusaders and deranged transformation is the opponent going to use? And it gives you, as a as a player, a huge amount of flexibility. You can put deranged transformation and spectral host, <laughs> dare I say, and ravenous crusaders all on the, you know, the the um. Well, you wouldn't need to do do all three on the flares because they could clearly uh, run and charge uh, through spectral host. But you could put them all on a horror, yep. and suddenly you've got running and charging horrors who can fly and they can move a crazy amount. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I played a game um the other day with it and. Um, I'd already I'd said at the start I was going to use Ravenous Crusaders for the run and charge um, on my ghouls. And then I said, OK, right, well, I'm going to cast Spectral Host. And the great thing is you don't have to say this is something I found, actually, that a lot of people, they, they screw themselves over a little bit when they play the game when they don't need it is you just when you say what spell they're going to cast they go you don't okay, pick I'm a target, do you? yeah, yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to cast this on this. And you like you're like, OK. If you, you might not have been worried about it if it went on to what, a certain unit, but would have worried about it if it was going on another. And so then people just go, okay, I'm going to cast it on this unit. And you're like, oh, okay, well, and you, you might not even need to bother unbinding it if you weren't worried about it. Um, but it would have been a threat had they put it on a different unit. Um, and it's the thing where you don't actually need to declare what unit it's going on to. At the time you cast the spell, you just say, I'm going to cast this spell. And then if it's successfully cast, you can pick a unit that's a valid target for that spell so um i was basically like my opponent was umming and ahhing going do i dispel this because i was like well it could go on the ghouls so that they could fly and and jump screens i was like or it could go on the horrors and so that they would gain fly as well um or it could go on my vargolf and let him run and charge because he already flies so then they're like oh okay if the vargolf runs and charges because then i had I, you then obviously 
don't have to declare until after that's happened which unit you're going to royal mordants move either so you kind of can just see what you want to do and let your opponents sweat a little bit while they they try and work out which which unit you're going to put it on so i like that it's multi uh, multi effect yeah and it's a bit like um charges as well you declare a charge and then pick a target once you've rolled don't you yeah yeah as long as you're within 12 of something you don't have to actually declare you're charging at a particular unit absolutely and i think that's you know, for example, uh, this is something that was relevant in previous editions with the way fanatics worked. Is that you, you know, do, you're like, oh, do I want to? Where do I want to put my fanatics? You know, where do I want to kind of block them with? Because I don't know whether they're going to charge the unit of night goblins or you know over towards Mangler. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's. We always say this on priority roll. It's, it's about putting your opponent into a position where they have to make decisions. Uh, because the more decisions you're forcing your opponent to make that they weren't necessarily planning on making, the more opportunity they have to make a poor decision. And games of Warhammer are are won and lost on kind of capitalizing on the mistakes of your opponents. Yeah. And the, the more the more kind of incremental mistakes you can force your opponent to make, then the better chances you have of capitalizing on them. Yeah, hundred percent. Um and it's also super flexible in that it gives you so many choices as well, which sometimes can be a bit confusing. Um like you can also overwhelm yourself a little bit too much with analysis paralysis of what is the best option. But I think if you wanna do well with a list, it's always better to have options than not. And I think I think it's really strong anyway, and it's it's quite overlooked, to be honest. Um and then the command trait is very situational, but again has the potential to be really good. So it's grave robber, so you add one to the attack's characteristic and damage of this general's melee weapons while it's within three inches of an enemy hero with an artifact of power. Um, so I always make my Vargolf Courtier the general um, to take this trait because he's got two weapon profiles for a start. So um, he gets plus one attack to both of them and plus one damage to both of them um, if you get him within three of an enemy hero with an artifact. Um, but he's just... We'll go on to him when we talk about that tech specifically, but um he he's such a good candidate um if you're trying to buff him up with that trait um the amount of extra damage that it adds is actually quite crazy um across all of the multiple pylons and extra attacks you can get him up to um and then the artifact is fine it's it's nothing amazing it's just uh whenever it charges you pick a, an enemy unit within one and on a two up they take d3 mortal wounds which is nice um but it's it's just the tax that you have to take but it's fine yeah, it's it's nothing special, but it does at least it allows you to to do something more than once a turn. Yeah, or more than once a game rather. You know, at least it allows you to kind of do it every single time you charge. And the amount you're charging in your combat focused armies is clearly going to be you know high. So I think I think that's a of all the kind of mandatory tax type artifacts, I think it's a decent one to have. Yeah, and I have found a I have had a situation where it was a great use for it. Um, when I was playing against Seraphon actually in an event where they had. Stilodons, which obviously unrendable until they've taken three wounds and so i was trying to find a way before the combat phase to put mortal wounds onto them um so that my attacks in the combat phase would rend them um and worsen their save and i basically was like oh okay well if i charge it with my zombie dragon who had that artifact on a two up i'll do d3 mortal wounds and i think i'd managed to do like one wound from uh, screaming with flayers so i was like if i can get one uh, if i can get two mortal wounds from a two up here then i'll get what i want and i'll that bastilodon will move to a two up save and it won't ignore rend 
one of my flares and that's exactly what happened I, I did the two up did two mortal wounds and then it meant that the bastillodon died where it probably wouldn't have if i hadn't been able to just put those two mortal wounds through in the charge phase so um yeah those little situations come up and it, it, it can be useful so that's hollow morn and um in terms of blister skin and gristle we saw a huge amount of gristle uh, in the very early days of feck you know it was the it was the big bad wasn't it gristle zombie dragons with uh, Feast Day or Feeding Frenzy, it, you know, no, no, sorry, <laughs> wasn't with Feast Day, clearly, because it was in Grisogor, but uh, Grisogor uh, Grand Court with Feeding Frenzy, uh, doing all the attacks, doing all the, you know, double attacks, and it's just, it was quite intense. And I think Blister Skin was then the kind of one that then became, I guess, like the, the kind of second option because speed wins your games as well. You know, the ability on Blister Skin, you add two to the movement characteristics of all Blister Skin units and flares are battle line in a Blister Skin army. So it's a fairly kind of obvious choice for that kind of high movement army, but it still has the damage output. It's not like a kind of, you know, an elf army that's skittering around a battlefield, not, you know, not doing any damage. This is fast and tanky. Yeah, I mean, Blister Skin, it's... It's one of those things where don't forget any court has the ability to double pile in, so you've got output wherever you need it. Um, and all of the abilities you get for blister skin are good. Like two in- two inches of movement on every unit is great. The command ability is um, really good. You can pick a flying unit and you get to teleport them anywhere on the battlefield. Super good for objectives. The command trait on a four up, you get extra CP in your hero phase. We love CP for this army, so that's great. And the artifact as well. Is probably the best artifact out of the four that's mandated which is subtract minus um subtract one from hit rolls for missile weapons that target blister skin units that are hollow within six of the bearer so your foot your foot kind of ghoul kings and stuff can essentially be minus two against shooting if they're in that bubble in lookout sir um so it's all really good and i, I can understand why people were taking blister skin if they didn't want to kind of be the gristle gore guy that was just taking terror geists and hoping for sixes to do flat six mortal wounds and um six is exploding to also get the damage on the attack and then if somebody hit them then they can just pile in when they die and spend another cp and um pile in again after that and stuff like that so um yeah and for anyone that didn't know that's what gristle gore does and it still works it's still very strong i think that gristle gore is uh one of those armies that is the strong one of the strong armies of, of yester yesteryear or yesterday that kind of thing but it's the it's still out there if you were going to do a where are they now type thing of of armies that were good in the past i think crystal gore has still got it because nothing i don't think they've changed a huge amount about the army no and that's the thing that's kind of why i came back to fet because people had almost forgotten about it and it is because it's one of those things where the army is susceptible to shooting like Feck loves a fight. Like it, it, it doesn't have really any shooting or, or much anyway. Um, and so, shoot strong shooting armies can just take them off as well because it typically Feck isn't super resilient either. Um, gr- the reason Gristlecore got around that lack of resilience is that if people charged your dragons, like I say, you have that command ability to pile in an attack when you die, and you could still feeding frenzy after that. So, combat armies didn't want to go into you because. Sure, they might kill a dragon, but your dragon going twice will probably kill them back as well. And so it was a really hard army for combat armies to trade with. Um, whereas shooting armies would just be like, okay, stuff, all you've been knights has got five up saves, your ghouls has got six up saves, and even the dragons have only got like four up saves. So they're not that hard to kind of shoot off. Um, so things like KO and um, and all those shooting armies started to come forward. And Feck, I think, just took a bit of a, a back seat. Um, especially as with Gristlegore in particular, they did change the command trait, which lets you fight at the start so that you only fight at the start when you charge. Um, but that's still very good because because of fighting at the start 
and then it being your turn, you get to pick. And because of Feck, if you've got the CP, you can go again. People would just basically take two dragons, charge you with the general, fight at the start, and go twice. Then it's their turn to pick a unit. They fight with that unit and go twice. So they've basically had four activations with dragons before you get a turn. Um, and so many people, including myself, at the start, have just had their army deleted in one turn by that. Um, and it can still happen because if it, like, if, as long as you charge, you still get four activations if you've got those CP. So nothing changed about that. So if you get into a combat army, you can still destroy it. And if you can get into a shooting army, then you can still destroy it as well. Um, but there are definitely more kind of counters and there's more play around Gristlegore. As rightly there should be. Yeah, yeah. You don't want an army that just does one thing. Uh, absolutely. It was an absolutely needed nerf, but I don't think it kind of completely clipped the wings of uh, of those dragons. You know, yeah, which is a, good as well. A sensible, a sensible nerf. You know, they're, they're still incredibly strong, but they're not completely over the top. Yeah, and that's good because I hate it when there's nothing worse than when you get your army, you get excited. It's powerful. Like, don't get me wrong. We're all guilty of jumping to an army because it's powerful. We can get excited by that. Um, but there's nothing worse than doing that, maybe having a tournament where it's really fun and then they nerf your army into the ground and you're like, well, it's kind of unplayable now. So that didn't happen. I still think Crystal Gore is very strong, um, which is great. Um, it just, like, as you say, got toned back a bit and it was more the other armies that came out around it that started to get more and more and more shooting um, that I think pushed Feck down a bit um, versus where it was at the time. Um, but yeah, they're all still really good, um, to be honest. And it, the conversation actually that made me kind of go back to Feck myself about six months ago was in the WhatsApp chat. We were kind of, there was a discussion came up that was how do we think Feck do into KO specifically, but essentially shooting. Um, and most of the people in the chat, myself included, kind of were just saying, I think it's basically the ko players game to lose um i think it's a really hard match for for feck and so then i kind of took it on myself like i just went away and in my head went i want to i don't kind of like the idea that a book just has a hard counter um i want to especially if it's something as broad as shooting armies so i want to go off and see if i can design a feck list that i think has a more than 50 50 chance more like 70 30 80 20 maybe chance into kind of specifically the ko matchup but then what i kind of discovered around that is if you can get into the ko the things that you've built the tools that you've given yourself in order to make that matchup more favorable to you tend to translate to a lot of other shooting armies a lot of armies in general um and that's basically where i kind of came up with this royal mordant's hollow morn list that i've basically just been playing with um pretty much exclusively other than a couple of random tts games for the last six months and and just writing so many lists around and i've, I've tried it in gristlegore as well and i've come back to hollow morn um and so yeah and that's kind of where you you message me and um the whole thing for this show is um basically around my my findings and building that super strong kind of list that falls in hollow morn um so is a bit less known as well and how it plays into the the shooting meta and particularly kind of ko Excellent. So I guess let's let's crack on. Let's let's we've got two hollow on lists, so both two thousand points. The idea was that we would explore this kind of idea of cavalry charging. You know, I think the the Hollow Moor narrative says uh, 
Before their descent into insanity, the Knights of the Hollowmorn were mighty and steadfast warriors, clad in chamonic plates and born not to battle on horseback. They swept aside opposing armies of far greater side with their devastating charges. During the Age of Chaos, when their crusade to find the hidden relics was shattered, hidden relics? You mean like a holy grail? Question mark. Um, the knights were forced into acts of utter depravity, eating first their peasant servants and eventually even their faithful mounts. That's very sad. I'm less bothered about the peasant servants and more bothered about the fact they were eating their horses. Um, in their deranged state of mind, they see themselves as still crusading, riding out in armoured columns to cut down those who would despoil the vaults that they seek. I mean, they are That's French. not enough. They are know. French. <laughs> in terms of eating their horses, they are French. <laughs> Uh, that's not enough to make you want to run a, an army of undead Bretonians, then I, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it is pretty cool. Um, so I'll go into, because I wrote you a couple of lists, right? Because you said, Chris, I want to do I want to do a list and I want to go horror heavy. Um, that's the brief. And so I kind of said, OK, Dan, I think I think flares are better, but I, I will write you lists that I think work um that are that are horror heavy and so in, um, in typical dan fashion i went i acknowledge that this one thing is better however i'm using a theme to completely you know <laughs> stab myself in the back and run a slightly less good army yeah i think it's just because the flayers for what i designed in terms of uh like the ko and the ironclad and stuff the flayers are so pivotal to that um because of the mortal wound output that you don't get with the horrors um, but that being said, horrors are considerably cheaper um, and they do they do a good job against um, other units in terms of they can have they can be more reliable in their output because um, of rerolls and things like that. So um, anyway, I'll go through. So this first list, they're both hollow mourners, we said before. So this first one has an extra CP purchased. Um, we've got the Vargolf Courtier as the general, like I said before, with the Grave Robber trait. And then the artifact that I will always, 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 always give to a Vargolf is the Bilius Decanter. Um, so basically what this does is it turns the Vargolf up to 11 when you also add the other buffs. Um, and he can just explode the world in the right situation. Um, so basically it gives him once per game at the start of the combat phase, you can basically open the flask and drain the uh, lovely contents inside and it gives him plus two attacks to both his profiles so vargolfs have um, naturally four uh, claw attacks and one bite attack um, if they're within three inches of ten or more models then they get plus two on their claw attacks so they can on their war scroll be six claw attacks and one bite so using this bilious decanter would make them up to eight claw attacks and three bites um, and then don't forget the trait gives them an additional attack on both profiles. So you'd be up to nine claw attacks and four bites um, and plus one damage if they're within three of an enemy hero with an artifact, which is easier to engineer than you might think, because uh, you're always going to have one enemy hero with an artifact at least. Um, and because of the Royal Mordants and the movement, you can normally get this guy where he needs to be, um, which is why I do think as much as the trait is situational, it's still very good and worthwhile taking on him. Um, so then we have an abhorrent arch regent, which again I think almost any flesh eater courts list you're going to see at least one of these guys in um, because what they bring to the army is just massive. Um, there are two cast wizard um, that auto heal three wounds in their hero phase, and they have seven wounds and four up save to start with, so they're relatively survivable. Um, and they they're okay in a fight as well. Like they will deal with ten man kind of units of chaff um, as well, which is good for kind of defending a backfield objective if you've run most of your other things away from it. Um, but basically, the spell they have on their war scroll 
It's Ferocious Hunger, and it's cast on a six. You pick a Flesh Eater Quartz unit, hollow within 24, and you add D3 attacks to their profiles, which is a pretty insane spell. Um, the Can Gawking you think of any foot. units that uh, would really benefit from this attack? You know, maybe someone that has got attack greedy, perhaps? Something yeah, that like, a, like, like a Vargolf yeah. that's got two <laughs> profiles. <laughs> I just love that this Vargolf is just like, nah, I need more, need more, give me more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you can, if you roll that three, get that Vargolf with an extra three claw attacks, an extra three bite attacks. So with the decanter, you've given him plus five, plus five, um, and he gets an extra one from his trait. So he'll be plus six, plus six, and you can get two extra claws if you're in range of enough models. So you can give him plus eight, plus six. So he can be 12 claws and seven bites. Um, and all of them can be at plus one damage, and the claws are standardly damage two, and the bites are damage D3. So you can make them essentially on average the D3 plus one is a three, and the claws become damage three. So you can give him like an insane amount of attacks um, with <laughs> with the buffs in this book, and then obviously you spend a CP and he can attack twice, so you double it again, um, which is how you get him to be the nuclear Vargolf, as I call him, or the Smash Bat, as the internet has uh, has now named him. Um, especially as um, he pairs really nicely with that Archregent, because if any Abhorrent casts a spell hollow within 18 of a Vargolf, then the Vargolf gets to re-roll hit rolls uh, until your next hero phase. So, And both his profiles hit on threes, so then you can send him in threes re-rolling, and then he wounds on threes with his claws, and don't forget in Hollow Morn, courtiers get to re-roll ones to wound on the charge. So he'd be threes re-rolling ones, and then his bites wound on twos re-rolling ones, and it's at rend one and rend two on the bites. So perfect storm. I think his damage output is like a, it can be 128 or something. <laughs> if he goes absolutely, if he, love if it. he goes twice. So, um, know, so some armies have 128 wounds. Yeah, if if yeah. someone wants to put them all in a bubble within three of him, he'll probably try as try and kill it all. <laughs> oh, that would be so good. I love it. Um, but yeah, for a 160-point hero that doesn't look that much on paper, um, the ability to potentially do 128 damage. And obviously, it's it's never going to be 128, but it can quite reliably get into the 70s and 80s if you if you get your kind of two or three extra attacks and, and stuff like that, and you've got your re-rolls and you, you're, um, you're within three of a hero to get the extra damage on both profiles. You, you can quite reliably get into the 70s and 80s which again is absolutely insane for his small base size and 160 points of your list so uh, that power pair as we like to call them is um is fantastic and the arch region has the deranged transformation spell that we spoke about earlier because you want to be giving those horrors the um extra four inches of move i think is more important than the ability to give them fly because otherwise they won't get to where you need them to be anyway. So the ability to jump over screens is less relevant. Um, and then we've just added in a Crypt Haunter Courtier, which is the horror hero. Um, so basically the other thing, the Flesh Eater Courts um, has some resilience brought in from the Courtiers in that they have this ability to muster, which essentially kind of represents them gathering more troops and whether it gets troops to rally or they've, they manage to call extra men to their banner, etc., I say men, obviously deranged, crazy lunatics, but so be it. Um, and essentially, in your hero phase, you um, for all of the courtiers, you roll six dice, and they pair up to the specific units. Obviously, a crypt haunter can only do it to crypt horrors. There's um, also 
one, a Crypt Infernal, which only does it for Flayers. Um, there's a Crypt Ghast Courtier that only does it for the Ghouls. But the Vargolf can do it to all of the units, which is why, again, I think the Vargolf is the um, the definite pick if you have the points for him over any of the others. Because basically you roll six dice, and then for each two plus for Ghouls or five plus for Horrors or Flayers, you pick a unit within 10 and you add a model back in. You can't take them above their starting size. But um, yeah, if, if you're rolling six dice, on average, you should roll two five ups. So each Vargolf you have, if you've got a unit of Horrors or Flayers within 10, you should add two models back to it, each of your hero phases that your Vargolf's in range, um, which is really good when they're four wound models. And really demoralizing. I remember playing against Steve Curtis at Warhammer World and just... You know, watching those horrors come back and back, it's just that you've just killed. It's really frustrating. Yeah, it, it, but it's also why I think it's important to have big units of them, because if they get wiped, um, which is very easy to do because they do only have a five up save. So it's quite easy to go through them. Um, and so I think if you're going to take them, I think you want as big a units as you possibly can just to make sure that they survive any attacks that come their way ready for you to then put them back. Um, and so there are three heroes and then basically battle line we've got 10 ghouls and then the great thing about hollow morn grand court is it makes horrors battle line um, regardless of your general Um, the cool thing with flesh eater courts is their battle line choices are very flexible um, in that if you have different generals so the crypt haunter if he's your general he makes horrors battle line the crypt infernal if he's your general he makes flayers battle line um but obviously the Vargolf is our general, so neither of those options are valid for us. But then Hollow Morn makes the Horrors battle line, and as you said before, I think Blister Skin makes Flayers battle line. That's a really important thing to point out, is that it is, it's an or, not an and. It's Crypt Infernal Courtier or Blister Skin makes the battle line. Or Crypt Haunter, Haunter Courtier or Holomorn. It's not you don't have to be Holomorn and have that as your general. It's 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 an awe. So that's that's a great thing. If you wanted to run a flare heavy list, but not in Blister Skin, you just make your infernal your Crypt Infernal Courtier your uh, your general. Yeah, because um, it also means yeah, if you took Blister Skin for example, and you took a Royal Mordance in Blister Skin, and you made uh, and you took a Crypt Haunter for example Courtier, and you made him the general, then your three units in your Royal Mordants are all battle line because ghouls are always battle line. Your flayers are battle line because you've taken blister skin and then and your, your crypt horns want to general mix. Yeah. yeah. Love it. You can, you can do it that way and you could do vice versa in hollow morn. If you wanted to, you could take a crypt infernal in the list to make and make him the general. And that would then make the flayers become battle line. So again, you could do it in either just by switching a general around, but for hollow morn, I want that Vargolf to be the general because of that plus one attack, plus one damage trait. I think it's too good to give up personally. Um, yeah, definitely. So that's, I'm that's, to agree. that's the way we get around it anyway. Um, in, in your list, because you said I want to go horror heavy anyway, it doesn't matter because we're adding in an extra unit of horrors. So our units are the Royal Mordant's Battalion, as I said before, um, I, I think it's so good. I think I, I can't write a Flesh Eater Courts list competitively without putting it in these days. Um, so it's just 10 ghouls, but then we've got 12 horrors, which is the maximum unit size. Um, and then just three flayers, um, because we have to take some flayers, I know, Dan, but three Pegasus Knights will look cool. Um, they, will, they, will, they will. And there is no, there's no uh, bulk discount for horrors, just uh, if anyone's no. aware. That's, um, they're 160 points uh, between 3 and 12, but there's no horde discount. They are 130 points. They have been getting steadily they, cheap. They, they are, they are. Super. Sorry, I'm looking at my battle tome, not War Scroll Builder. Thank you. Yeah, 130 points. Excellent. Yeah, so they have been getting steadily cheaper, which is the one thing I will say that they 
that does give them a look in against Flayers, um, because I do think Flayers are just out and out better. But Flayers are 170 points for three, and Horrors are now 130. So for every three, it's a 40-point difference, which is actually pretty significant. If you want to start taking those bigger units, you can just take more Horrors than you can Flayers. Um, and those big units, as I said, because you want them to survive so that you can muster them back, are important. So you can get better builds if you can hit a 12, whereas you might only be able to hit a 9 um, if you took Flayers. So we've got 12 Horrors, um, and that's all in the Royal Mordants. And then we've got another 12 Horrors. So we've got two big bricks of 12 um, maxed out Horrors. So I hope I hope that's enough Horrors for you, Dan. I, I like it. I like it. Um, and that is the um, the army list. It's 2,000 on the nose with that extra CP um, and the battalion. So turn one, we're going to have three CP. Um, and we've got the the nuclear Vargolf um, as we want him, able to double move himself um, when the moment calls. And then we've got those two units of horrors that are going to have to do most of the work, but they should be able to. Um, the great thing with these is it's very low drop. So because three of your four kind of units all fit um, and then one of the heroes fits into the Royal Mordants, you've only actually added three additional units. So it's a four drop army if you want it to be. Otherwise, it's seven. Um, so it's it's quite low. So a lot of the time you will get to dictate who goes first or second. Um, and because you have the speed with the double move, the run and charge with plus one to both, um, those horrors can cross the table. So if you see a situation where you need to go and shut your opponent down, you can just fl- fling those horrors across the table um, quite reliably. Even if deranged transformation doesn't go off um, from the arch region, the horrors at movement seven base with a run and charge moving twice, ev- like a 24 apart scenario, you should very reliably make a charge. So your opponent has to think about setting up really quite deep if they want to make that charge harder for you but even then i still think you'll probably get within 12 to be able to declare um because yeah if you you, your average run twice is nine and you're moving 14 so you're going 23 inches anyway um if your spells don't go off and if it does go off then you're going another eight inches moving twice so 31 inches so your opponent's not going to bother backboard edging um and this is the issue with the horrors you are just going to hit screen sure but you've then thrown 48 wounds worth of horrors into your opponent's face in their deployment zone. Um, You're going to wipe screens as well. And because of Feeding Frenzy, you've got that ability to go twice, which means if they don't then sit more than kind of three or four inches back behind that screen, you'd be able to hit whatever was behind it anyway. So you are going to force your opponent to deploy quite deeply or in in suboptimal ways. And then if they do do that, and you outdrop them, you potentially can just make them go first. So um, this comes into where I think the, the list is really flexible in that it, it can sit back and take a hit as well, because you can just sit behind 96 wounds worth of horrors and be fairly comfortable that most armies can't take that off turn one. Like, there is some, there has been some creep in the game recently, so there are some armies that I would be worried about that could do that. Um but I think it is an army that can you can quite kind of happily give away first turn as well if you wanted to um, and absorb the hit and then just regrow the bodies using your, your Vargolf um, because the Archer Regent as well can summon you on another Vargolf, um, which we kind of forgot. I, I just take all these things for granted. But um, the Archer Regent once per game at the end of your movement phase can summon 
either 20 ghouls or three flayers, three knights or a courtier. And so because the Vargolf is the best courtier um, and I think you want more mustering, I will always, I would always summon a Vargolf. Um, and if you're next to your terrain piece, which for the fleshy courts is that awesome bone throne um, that's set up wholly than 12 of your battlefield deployment edge, um, it's very easy to pretty much backboard edge your arch regent so that he's often out of unbind range so that you can have your best chance at casting his spells and then you run him forward um, and as long as he finishes his move within an inch of that terrain piece then his summon doesn't cost you a cp so you get to add a vargolf to the army for free yeah i think that's a really interesting list and the kind of only question that i really had for you uh, apart from the what if i wanted to run double battalion was what do you think about splitting the horrors instead of 12 and 12 having 996 and i know that gives you an extra drop um as in you would need to be an extra drop i, I wonder whether the sort of three still decently chunky units they're not max units but three decently chunky units rather than two max units gives you better flexibility on the board or do you think the drops is so important um it would depend on the situation um i do agree like there's definitely some utility in having more units and as you say nine nine is still really good i've run the six and i've learned not to expect much from it um in either case unfortunately like i've said oh its job can just be to kind of be a screen or survive but 24 wounds on a five up save i've just found if someone wants like it dead they don't actually have to have that much of a hitting unit and it's it's kind of swingy if they commit a semi-powerful unit to it you're hoping that they don't quite kill it but if they do then it can put issues on you um if they don't then great and you 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 do what you do and you grow the unit back and you kill them um but you're always like oh if they go through that it's going to put me in the tough spot um but having two nines would be really good and then that extra six would help support elsewhere um but i think if you were going to break them down then you'd potentially go to the second list um we wrote which has in the extra battalion that is probably the battalion you would most commonly see for people that were running horrors um which is the attendance at court that you mentioned before um so do you want to do you want to talk about that one because i know it's one that you you looked at yeah absolutely so i think this is really the response to that question isn't it it's instead of going 996 you go 1263 now um the it's very much uh, the same list uh, but with the double battalion and obviously through the double battalion you do get an extra artifact and the only uh, the only units that the hero that was eligible for extra artifacts is the crypt horde to courtier so he gets the medal of madness now this is something that i think isn't necessarily like the best thing sliced bread but i think it certainly uh does help uh, sort of the list in in kind of what it wants to do so yeah 100 percent. we we said at the top that you want to cp is so good for this army because of the ability to double your output um, and fight again. So every time you can save yourself from spending a CP, it's amazing. Um, and so basically what this Medal of Madness does is they uh, they had to do an FAQ to change it because the wording in the book is that they get to use a command ability on their war scroll for free, but it has to go on a courtier and none of the courtiers have command abilities on their, <laughs> on their war scroll. <laughs> um, so everyone was like, well, what does this do? Um, and so basically they've said that they can use the kind of generic three um, command abilities from, from the book, uh, from the core rules, which is at the double forward to victory um and i always forget what the other one's called but it's basically auto run six re-roll a charge or auto pass battle shock so you get to do 
um, one of those command abilities once per battle round for free, um, which is great in this list because basically you because you've got that run and charge command ability in Hollow Morn. If one of those runs is a bit on the low side, like even if it's a three, like one, two, or three, you just use this and you just make one of those runs a guaranteed six without having to spend another CP. Because it's and, after you roll and not before. You don't have to declare it, which is great. Yeah. And so you know that at least one of those runs, you're going seven. Like you're, you're guaranteeing the six with the plus one. And so that's how, I mean, you, you know you should on average be going nine because even if you roll a one on the next one, uh, you've got one plus one, so you've got another two. So it, it's super reliable. Um, and if you have, if you've rolled well on your run and you haven't needed to use it, you'll have run him up behind the units anyway, so that he's ready to muster them in your next hero phase. And so then, if they, if you did need a bit of a big charge and they fluff their charge, you can just reroll the charge without needing to spend a CP. Um, and or again, if you haven't had to do that, and then you've got that big brick of twelve. And you do take some casualties, um, like you you do maybe lose six or seven or something from a hard hit back, and you're like, oh, I might actually lose something on the battle shock. You just go, okay, well I'll just auto pass the battle shock then. So again, it's really flexible, um, and it saves you CP for fighting again. So I, I think once you open that third artifact slot, um, it's pretty much the one I'm always going to. Yeah, and the reason why I don't, uh, I said it kind of, it's not the the best thing to slice bread because the the exciting thing that you kind of see when you read that is oh my goodness perhaps you can use feeding frenzy but clearly feeding frenzy isn't one of the three um and i think that's why i felt perhaps shortchanged by it because i thought great it's another opportunity to use a feeding frenzy without cp um i would say if if you could do that then it would it would be an amazing artifact um but uh yeah definitely the kind of at the double, uh forward to victory or inspiring presence you know all all useful things to, to be able to use uh, at some point and it is every battle round not once per once per game you know once per game artifacts are, are frustrating um you know being able to yeah. use this multiple times in a game is, is very useful the other thing people have normally gone to i think is like taking things like the dermal robe um on the arch regent just to give him plus one to cast unbind etc to make the spell casting a little bit more reliable um but again i've kind of just the way i've approached it was trying to make it as reliable as possible in terms of the things that you don't need and a lot of the time if you've got enough bodies and you're fighting twice you don't need d3 extra attacks so i was i more built my flesh eater courts lists around having the cp available to fight twice because like on a unit that has three attacks each if i fight twice i'm essentially gaining three attacks each which is the best i can get from my spell so if i can make that reliably happen a lot more often by making sure i'm in combat and have the cp to fight twice i'm gonna choose to make that happen than i am to maybe make casting the spell to give me some extra attacks a little bit more reliable but then not have as many cp to use to go again um, so that's just my kind of logic and, and thoughts around why I um, prioritize that artifact over like Dermal Road that I see a lot of the time online. Yeah, and, and Dermal Road's decent, but it's also, I think it's, there's an argument to say that you should shore up your weaknesses and, uh, you know, Feck aren't necessarily the, you know, God's gift to to magic casting. Sure, um, they're all about combat. So there's an argument to say that you kind of, you don't need to reinforce what you're good at. But I, I think if something's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. You know, you, you should really be maximizing that combat output and almost being like, okay, I'm not a magic. I'm not, you know, croak on a bailwind. I'm not techless. So let's just do the thing that I do very well, extremely well, and guarantee that I can do it. Yeah. And because you can still get it without the plus one anyway. Like it still only needs a six. 
which is you're going to get it more often than you're not um especially like i say turn one because the arch regent and the way he works generally he is a perfect candidate for backboard edge casting turn one and then running forward to get him into unbind range for when it's kind of your turn to try and unbind your opponent if you're going to say take first turn um so a lot of the time unless you are playing against a croak or something like that that has board wide unbinds it's basically can you roll a six on two dice and more often than not you will um and you might get lucky and have arcane terrain as well i'm on a board side near the back and then it's only a five um but you can cast that d3 spell and then if you get the one it's always underwhelming um the one extra attack never really does that much whereas like i say if you know that you've got the cp to go twice it's a guaranteed three extra attacks so i just i just think it's better but it's so good when you cast the spell and you know you've got the cp you've rolled a three on the spell so suddenly you've got six attacks twice so you've gone from having three attacks to 12 <laughs> essentially and it's just a bit bonkers yeah it's just i think bonkers you're right it, it kind of turns things up to 11 but i think that's really useful because as i say if you're going to be able to do something you want to be be able to if, you, if you're doing something well you want to be able to guarantee that you can do it in my view so um the other the other change to the list is the inclusion of attendance to court, which is one crypt haunter courtier and two units of horrors. So uh, what this does, it provides you with a loyal subject's ability. So you can reroll hit rolls for attacks made by models from behind if your general is an abhorrent arch regent or an abhorrent ghoul king and has not been slain. So clearly this is something that um, I think is worth kind of considering. Um, in this list, the Vargulf courtier is still your general. Uh, it does give you the option to uh, use your abhorrent arch regent as your as your general to get that buff. But as it is, you know, Chris has kind of just demonstrated the the usefulness of having that Vargulf courtier as your general, and you know how crazy that can be, you know, with the with the command trait. So it's kind of one to consider. So this this pick of this uh, attendance of court battalion is really all about drops and that extra artifact um, rather than getting that ability itself. Yeah, um, it, it's one way, like you said at the start, essentially it costs you 60 points. Um, it gets you the extra artifact, which is um, going to save you CP. It's getting in the extra battalions. It's getting you that additional CP as well. And it's putting another unit of horrors in, but it's also making you... The last list we said was four drops. This actually goes down to three drops, even if you've got an additional because unit. Every single unit is in a battalion, yeah. but the abhorrent arch region. Other than the arch region. So you're two battalions and, a, and an arch region. Yeah, so three three drop, I think, is is really good. Um, but it gets you that extra unit. And again, you can play around with the unit sizes. So I think in the list I sent you, I had the max 12 kept in the Royal Mordants um, just because you want the biggest unit, I think, available for double moving. Um, and then that, that left you with a six and a three for this. But you could make it down so that you could have a nine and two sixes, or you could have two nines and a three. Um, again, kind of as you were discussing, to just give you some some a bit more board presence. Um, but the other thing I like is that the although if you are taking the Vargolf as the general, uh, so that you can keep the trait on him, which I I personally think is worth it. Um, so you don't get the battalion's ability, which lets them get the rerolls to hit um, anywhere, like anywhere on the board, as long as the apparent arch regent um, is alive. You can still just get full rerolls to hit if they're holy within 18 of the arch regent. So any of them that are kind of you're holding back and using defensively, which again I think in this build that's exactly how you would play the two units that were in the um, attendance at court, because the big brick of 12. Or nine, if you wanted to then go for, say, two sixes, um, or the nine and the three in the attendance at court, 
but that big brick of 12 is the unit that you're going to double move and throw at your opponent so that's the unit you're going to send away from your arch region that these two are going to be kind of in your backfield um kind of defending your home objectives which is where your arch region is going to be and so they're quite easy to keep holy within 18 of him so they're going to get rerolls to hit anyway so i don't actually think it's it's too much of a, a loss in terms of taking a battalion but not getting the ability because they they kind of have the ability on their scroll anyway um which i do think is really good um because it makes them super reliable again as we talk about reliability is really really good for building a strong list so if you've got a unit that can be forced forced to hit is bad but when it's forced to hit re-rolling and then threes to wound is not too bad but when it's threes re-rolling ones on the charge it's really good to have that brick just be forced to hit re-rolling threes re-rolling ones like you're essentially re-rolling hits and wounds um which is which is really solid yeah and consistent output means that you can throw them into a unit and and know with a decent degree of certainty the what they're going to do to that unit you know when something's really swingy you're like oh it's max output could be x but it also could be y uh, that's when you're kind of doing a little bit of a gamble and we talked about you know maximizing on your opponent's mistakes the more consistent the more the, the flatter you can get your damage curve the better it is for you to be able to make those assessments of whether that's a good charge or whether you need to do that or whether you need to charge something else in with it and that kind of thing yeah and it's it's the thing where like i put flayers in because they do mortal wounds like on sixes to hit but at the same time that in itself is super swingy because sometimes you can spike on the sixes and you just do loads of mortals and they're in addition so your damage output goes crazy but then other times you'll not really get any sixes and they can be really underwhelming um because they are damage one whereas the horrors are flat damage two and then sixes to wound a damage three as well so the, the couple of times you if you spike on the sixes to wound with horrors and then your opponent kind of fails those saves every single one that goes through is three damage as well from battle line um that's relatively cheap to get the amount of attacks that you can get because if you think like other equivalent things that are damage three are like iron guts and they're so expensive compared to horrors um especially like the lack of amount of attacks that they have again that compared to what horrors can have like horrors can have six attacks a model and they can go twice whereas iron guts are basically three attacks a model and that's that's it um and they cost a lot more so I, i think the fact that you can have that um battle line for like six horrors is in the attendance at court when it's not your main threat and it's kind of you're keeping them back to defend two back objectives i think six horrors with an um a ghoul king or an abhorrent arch region is actually brilliant for 260 points um just knowing the damage output they can do like fours fours re-rolling threes re-roll ones when they need to go in with a bunch of attacks that can be damaged that are damaged two potentially damaged three um i think is really good um the problem is in the list is the only thing that has rend is the three flayers um, and then the Vargolf has Rend 1 and Rend 2. Um, but Rend 2 is really good, and the amount you can buff that Vargolf up normally means that if your opponent's only got like a limited amount of very high armor saves, um, like we're talking kind of Mortec Guard 3-up re-rolling saves, that sort of thing, horrors will just bounce off them all day long. Um, so you do need something that can deal with those armor saves. Like You're seeing a lot more kind of Knights of the Empty Throne, Varangard, and Nurgle, right, that get 2-up, two, 1-up two up, up re-rollable saves. And stuff like that horrors are going to have a horrible time against that but you'd, you'd hope that the vargoth could maybe deal with it although a one-up re-rolling save even ren 2 is going to struggle 
um, against that sort of thing, which is why, yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot a little bit by taking so many horrors and not quite as many flares. But the great thing with Feck is if you do get your plus D3 attack spell off with your Arch Regent one round and you're like, oh, okay, I need to kill something with a God Armor save, you can still choose that unit of three flares. If you roll a three, they're still going up to they're going up to seven attacks a model. So you still got like twenty two attacks from those three flares, and they can go twice. <laughs> so they can still do a huge amount of work, even just three of them. And the, one of the most exciting things for Fact right now is that we know they're going to be getting new rules in the next Broken Realms book. Oh, I can't wait. New battalions and everything. I'm just like, okay, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? I think that's one of the things where I was keen to kind of get this episode recorded prior to that release, just because it's almost like this is where we're at now. And I'm not going to be using this list in any events anytime soon because there aren't any in the UK. So uh, what it allows me to do is build a kind of a rough core and kind of get some paint done on, on the units themselves and then look at it again with a different eye of being like, okay, well, this is what the list did before, and here are what the rules now allow me to do differently. You know, is that worth it? Do I want to change it? You know, is is horrors the right thing to do when actually there's a, you know, is, is max horrors with some infantry here is the right thing to do when there's actually a really good horror-focused battalion that allows you to take a zombie dragon or a terror geist, you know? And then you kind of look at the original intent, you're like, okay, this is a Bretonian list. That would allow me to run a Leon Leonger-esque hero on a big grumpy Pegasus or, you know, big big grumpy hippogriff or whatever, griffin. So cool. You know, maybe that then allows us to have a bit of variation because one of the issues that I have with this list is that it doesn't necessarily achieve that kind of combined arms Bretonian feel. It, it yeah. achieves exactly what I asked it to achieve when we had the discussion, which was, you know, charge of the heavy brigade type thing. I want Ride of the Rohirrim. That's that scene in Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, you know, with, with the cavalry charges, the Battle of the Bastards or the Pelennor Fields, whatever. It achieves that. That's that's what it does. But actually, does it does it feel like a Bretonian army? Well, you've got your peasants in there from the ghouls. You've got your Pegasus Knights. But what you don't have is something big and, you know, a king flying a big beast. So what I would really like to see from the Broken Realms rules is a horror-focused list that allows me to... Uh, a battalion that, uh, that kind of supports a horror-focused list, but with a, a big grumpy dragon. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And it's the one thing where there are a decent amount of um, battalions in the book, um, but not really for ones that kind of have the mounted dragons. Um, you can take the royal family, um, but then it's a choice between an abhorrent arch regent or... Uh, a ghoul king on terrorgeist or ghoul king on zombie dragon and then it's two to six ghoul kings on foot um which means it doesn't normally find a place um and you're always taking your arch regent i think so obviously you could just take the arch regent outside of the battalion take something else but the battalion doesn't do anything for the ghoul kings on terrorgeist or um zombie dragons like it, it helps your musters that you might do around them but if you're taking them you don't have as many courtiers i think in the list um, and then the only other one is three unridden kind of dragons, which isn't what you want. Like you say, you want something that is one kind of ghoul king on zombie dragon or terror geist. And then maybe like if it was like a kind of a buffed up version of the Royal Mordants, that'd be amazing. Like it, instead of the Vargolf, it was a, a, a dragon and then one of each of the ghouls, horrors and knights. Um, and then it, it did something else would be would be really cool. Um, so I'm excited to see what they do, because I do agree that it does feel a shame that you don't kind of have one of the big dragons in this list. Um, but I just don't think I don't think they're the optimal choice. It's not right with the tool. The tools that we've got at the moment, it's not right for the list that we're building. Yeah. 
the exciting thing about Broken Realms Techlist is that it's going to give us new tools. And the list that we design, which, uh, you know, Chris, it'd be great to have you back on to talk about the FEC changes in that new book uh, as and when that arrives. And the exciting thing is that we'll, we'll start from the ground up. It, it won't be a, a case of saying, how do I make this army better? It's how do I write a brand new army? And is it better? Yeah, for sure. I think by that point as well, like I'll have probably got Holland one nuclear Vargolf out of my system and I'll, <laughs> I'll be ready to embrace the new stuff from, um, from broken realms um, as well. Absolutely. Um, so, but I'm actually, um, I'm cause I'm currently getting my army ready for uh, a hollow one army ready for South Australia GT actually, which we are in a very fortunate position in Australia that we can have kind of real life events again. So um, I've got one next month, pretty much in a month tomorrow, I think. Um, and I'm taking a hollow one list, but I am deciding to go relatively ghoul heavy this time. So I am going to try a unit of 40 ghouls for the first time in hollow Morn because i think I, as we talked about i with that double move in the royal mordants and the run and charge i think i can reliably charge them across the table um and there's an endless spell for fleshy of course that we didn't touch on that is just incredible when you pair it with ghouls which is the uh, the chalice which um should let me do some janky things in terms of adding resilience to the army um because it essentially you count up the number of models that have died within 12 inches of it um each turn and then at the end of um the turn so like after battleshock and everything you then roll a number of dice equal to the amount of models that died and it's flesh eater courts models and enemy models like any model that dies within 12 you roll that many dice at the end of the turn and on four ups, you basically pick Flesh Eater Quartz units that are hollow within 12 of it and you put models back into them or heal wounds. So you can use it to like top up your Vargolf if he's taken some or if you lose like 30 ghouls or something to um, a really like bad attack, but you've kept them alive with a CP or, or something like that, or you've got a few left, um, but you've also killed a bunch of your opponent's models and so maybe 40 or so models died you should basically add 20 ghouls back into that unit. So you'll have gone from only having 10 to suddenly having 30 back on the board. Um, and then your Vargolf musters can put them back in as well. And you can just keep that unit almost running at 40 for a very, very long time. And 40 ghouls can do an incredible amount of attacks um, and damage. So, yeah, I'm going to try that that version of Hollow Morn as well. I've still got my block of flares and stuff as well, and and some horrors as well. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes, and I'll I'll be able to report back next time you have me on. Well, Chris, thanks ever so much for joining me. Uh, it's been really good to have you on, and look forward to chatting all about Feck. Uh, in the Broken Realms Techless book, as and when we have that in our grubby little claws or exquisitely armoured hands, you know, whichever way your delusion swings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, mine mine are lovely. I don't know about you. And then when I, oh, I take my, <laughs> I take my glasses off and, oh, no, there's filth under my nails. <laughs> exactly. The crusted blood of your enemies. Right, Chris, if people want to find you uh, out there on social media, uh, where can they find you? And, of course, please... Uh, chat about your podcast as well sure uh yeah so i am at wounded mortally on twitter um and i am one of the two hosts of mortally wounded podcast uh, with my co-host james so uh yeah we we try and record um reasonably regularly um but it's probably once every few months to be honest um and yeah we've got a fair few shows there but i'm i'm pretty active on twitter um so yeah at wounded mortally is probably the best place to find me fantastic right well chris uh it's always a pleasure to chat and uh hopefully we'll be able to get uh, a game in when uh when you decide to come to the uk to uh to enter some of our big tournaments over here yeah that would be awesome I, although i don't i'm not holding my breath that that'll happen anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> neither am i but we can hope we can we can dream absolutely when it happens we'll grudge round one damn straight damn straight cheers chris take care 
thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Priority Roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll. <laughs>